Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to read this chapter together. So Genesis chapter 15, and verse 1, this is God's Word to us this morning. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur and of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, he cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and Darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Gerizites, and the Jebusites. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us this morning. I'm going to think about this passage for a moment or two together. Great. I don't know if you ever remember that sort of conversation in your house, but uh, you've heard the words, Dad, do you promise? Do you really, really promise? Mom, do you, do you really promise? 
Maybe you were the child who was asking that. Maybe you're the parent who was feeling a little bit awkward and having to answer. And the, the fact is, of course, that children ask those questions because they quickly learn, just as we were saying to the kids earlier, they quickly learn that people, even people who love them, will say things and not carry through on them, and they will even promise things and not be able to keep their promise. It's, it's a sad fact, but it's, it's true. And it's one of the big things that we're thinking about this morning, particularly the thought that God is not like that. He is the promise-making and the promise-keeping God. Sometimes we, we sing that song, Why Should I Fear? It has the lines, you are God and you do what you'll say you will do. And that's the big lesson today. God makes and keeps His promises, and that's really, really important for us as people who can't always keep our promises. Three things we're going to see this morning. He promises Himself, He Himself promises, and He keeps His promises. So, God promises Himself. Now, this is a strange part of the Bible, a strange story. If you're not somebody who reads the Bible often, you'll think, goodness, this is a, a very odd a, a story that we're looking at this morning with this vision and the, the animals cut in two and so on. We'll think about that. We'll try and explain it. But, but you'll notice that it starts in a verse 1 of chapter 15 with God giving Abraham a promise. It's a beautifully tender encounter that the living God has with this man that He's chosen, this person through whom He's building a people. And God speaks to him in a vision. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, why does God have to say to him that He is His shield and His great reward? Well, He, he says to him, don't be afraid. And the answer as to why He has to say that is because he is afraid. What's he afraid of? Well, the, the, the chapter helps us with that. After this, verse 1, so we look back to what's happened before, and you might remember last week we saw that Abraham had gone to rescue Lot, who had got mixed up in a, in a war effectively, and had been carried off as a captive, and he'd, he'd done this sort of commando raid against four very, very powerful kings, and they wouldn't have taken notice of him before, but now they very much would have. And would there be reprisals? How could Abraham possibly survive if all these guys came looking for him? No wonder he was concerned. And God says to him, Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. Amazing how many times God says something like this to his people, dozens and dozens and dozens of times. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because we get afraid. Abraham got afraid. And God says to him, I'm your shield. I'll protect you. And what does a shield do? Well, you know it. It, 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 it keeps anything harmful from getting through to us. And God promises to be this for Abraham. Don't be afraid of those kings, Abraham. I can deal with them. I'll keep you safe from them. They cannot draw another breath unless I enable them to do that. So, don't be afraid. And you see, too, that he also says to him, I'm your very great reward. Now, we've got to assume that that's speaking into Abraham's situation as well. Why should God say this to him? Well, again, back in chapter 14, you remember that the king of Sodom had uh, offered to give Abraham all the plunder from his raid. 
And so Abraham had had this tremendous offer of tremendous fortune, and he had turned it down because he knew that he wanted his reputation to remain intact. And now after that, he's maybe thinking, do you know what have I just walked away from here? I've got this feeling of, of sort of missing out a little bit. And God comes to him and says, Abram, I'm your, your reward. Something really important here that we need to think about. God's promise to Abraham, it's a promise of a family, of, of people, of, of influence, but ultimately it is a promise of himself. I will be your God. He's saying to Abraham, you've got me. Don't, miss, don't worry about all that stuff that you've missed out on. You've got me. I'm your very great reward. And sometimes we need to hear that if we're Christians and we're following Jesus, and the world tells us we don't have all the things that it says are important. And God says, but, but look, you've got me. And Abraham knew, or at least he was being told, that at the end of the day, that the blessing of being one of God's people is not that God gives us things, but that God gives us Himself. And you see the difference. What is it that you, you want from God? Sometimes we, we, we just say to God, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in what you can give me. I'm looking for the blessings. But we don't realize that the real blessing is God Himself. And that's where all the blessings come from. What are we after? Are we after God? Or are we after God Himself? Because God promises His people Himself. Maybe you've, you've had a hard week and everything's, you think everything's piling up against you. But if, if we're following the Lord Jesus, we have God Himself. He is our very great reward. So, God promises Himself. The second thing is, God Himself promises. Now, unprompted by Abraham, or this unprompted uh, approach by God that's uh, not being sought by Abraham, it, it releases a whole torrent of questions that are going on in Abraham's heart. And, and God welcomes these. Now, sometimes We've got to say that sometimes in the Bible, the way God deals with questions is different. Sometimes questions are a sign of, of, of a conflict or, or lack of faith, and people are rebuked. But then there are other times whenever they're really welcomed, and this is one of those places here. And you think of why that might be, and it's because there are at least two different ways of asking questions, aren't there? Sometimes we can come to God and say, God, why are you doing this? And, and what we're really asking is, I wouldn't have done it this way. I, I want you to justify yourself. You, you, you can't be in control or you can't be good if this is happening. And that's a wrong way to ask questions of God, isn't it? But that's not what Abraham's doing here. This is a chapter that's all about faith, and Abraham's holding on to God here in faith, and he's saying, as it were, Lord, I'm trusting you in this, but, but help me with it. I, I don't understand how this is all going to work out. You've promised me a family, a child. We don't have any children. Help me understand your ways. Abraham is asking questions, not because he doesn't believe God, but because he doesn't understand God, and he wants to understand Him. And God just steps into that and deals with them so tenderly. 
Abraham had obviously nominated Eliezer, one of his servants, and designated him as an heir. And God says, he won't be your heir. And he takes him outside at night, shows him the stars. So shall your offspring be. Just thinking as John was reading that, you know, those stars, if we're Christians here today, those stars that Abraham saw, same stars in the heavens, they represent us. So shall your offspring be. We're part of that great vision. And it says in verse 6, very significant verse, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham had already, in a sense, believed the Lord as he'd sent out from Ur, but this is now his faith being really defined and refined. And what the Bible tells us that there's, is there's something marvelous happening behind the scenes. As Abraham believes God, and the sense is that he keeps on believing God, as he does this, God credits it to him as righteousness. He declares him to be righteous in his sight. Now, this is how all believers prior to Abraham have been made right with God, but this is the first time it's stated explicitly. And it's an absolutely re revolutionary idea that runs contrary to your heart and to my heart. Because the human heart says, if there's a way to be right with God, it must be because I do something. It must be because I earn something. Lots of world religions say something like that. If you want to know God, you've got to earn it. But Abraham was not made right in God's sight because of his goodness. I heard a story that, that maybe helps us see that young man had come to America with his mother, and the young man had risen up from the slum in which they started, and they'd done very well. And, and with his new wealth, he'd bought a yacht, and he didn't know anything about sailing. And so, he, he hired some men to sail it for him. And on his first voyage, he brought his mother onto the boat, and he disappeared for a while, and he came back dressed in a captain's uniform. And he said, look, mother, I am a captain. And the mother, who was obviously used to deflating her children's ego, said, son, by you, you as a captain, and by me, you as a captain, but by captains, you as no captain. <laughs> you see, when he was measured against what really, really matters, he was no captain. Now, you see, we can, we can say to, to the, the most morally upright person, by you, you are good. And by me, you might be good, but by God, you're not good. Because when we were measured against God, we're not good. And Abraham, though he was capable of being kind and generous and all of the rest of it, he was, he was not good. He had no inherent goodness in God's sight, and yet God declared him to be right, to be righteous, as he believed God. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 4. He's crafting his argument for the gospel, and he's dealing at this point with a Jew who would say that, that if you're going to be righteous in God's sight, you've got to work for it. And he says this, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And you see, this is where this principle is first established. We are made right with God, not on the grounds of a good life or our efforts, 
but on the grounds of faith. And so if you're here today, and, and this is a bit new to you, and you've occasionally thought of the question, you know, someday I'm going to have to meet God, how will I be ready for that day? That's a super important question. The answer I hope you can see lies not in what you do, but in what God has done and in what God can do. We'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Abraham has another question. You see it in verse eight, uh, 7 and 8. He also said to him, I am the Lord, so God speak, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. And then verse 8, but Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And what's Abraham thinking here? Is he thinking, well, that's okay, and I'm really, really grateful for your promise, but everything about my life seems so fragile. I mess up so easily. I did that thing with Sarah in Egypt. I got involved in a war. Things are so fragile and random in my life. How can I be sure that, that this is going to happen? And this is where we get to the third thing. God keeps His promises. Because God asks Him to go through this most unusual sort of ritual he has to slaughter a number of animals, cut them in two, apart from the smaller birds. And apparently this takes most of the day. And as the evening comes, Abraham sleeps, and this thick darkness comes upon him, and God speaks to him. He tells him that his descendants will most certainly inhabit the land, but they'll be enslaved for a time in a foreign land. We know that's Egypt and the whole Exodus story. And the reason that's given for this delay is that the inhabitants of the land that they're in at the moment are not as bad as they will be, and they're not ready for judgment. That's a slightly another story. But then this remarkable thing happens. A smoking fire pot, a burning torch, which are, are visible signs of God. They, they pass between these severed animals. So what's happened is that Abraham has cut these animals in two and made a sort of an aisle so, so that there's half on this side and half on this side. It's a, you can imagine it's an absolute mess, isn't it? But, but there's this passageway down the center with these torn animals on either side. And this fire pot, this burning torch, passes between the severed animals. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but that meant loads to Abraham. There was a way, you see, that, that really serious agreements were, were made in those days. Covenants. They, they talked about cutting a covenant because the cutting of the animals took place. So, if two kings were to make a treaty, this is what they would do. And what they would do is they would both pass up this aisle, this aisle of blood between these severed animals. And they were saying, I'm promising to do this and to do that. If I go back on my word, may I be like these animals. May I be torn in two. May this happen to me if I am not trustworthy. May I suffer the, the curse of this agreement, the curse of the covenant, if I break it. And so, you know, whenever we conduct a marriage here, we don't just have couples saying some things to show that they're entering into agreement. We have them do certain things as well, visually to reinforce it. They, they hold hands. They exchange rings. Well, you, well, you see, this is what, what God is doing. He's not only declaring His promise, but He's, he's showing it by a visual aid that the most 
It was the most serious thing, and his word could be trusted. And the interesting thing you see about all of this is that if two kings were making an agreement, they would both pass up the middle of the animals. They would be saying, in effect, I'll do my bit, and you do your bit. But you notice who goes through the animals? Abraham doesn't take part in this. He sets it up, but he doesn't pass between the animals. Only God does. And why is that? Because God is saying, the responsibility for me keeping my promises is mine. The responsibility for me keeping this covenant lies entirely with me. It doesn't depend upon you, Abram. It depends on me. You wouldn't be able to keep it at all, but I will. You won't be able to do your bit. You're sleeping. But I will, because I am utterly faithful to my word. You see, God's promise to bless you and to save you is utterly dependent upon Him. It doesn't depend on us. It's the most amazing thing. In order to, to bless us, God takes on Himself all the responsibility of us. And in order to make for Himself a people who are covenant people, but who are also covenant breakers, do you know what our God does? He endures the curse of the covenant. Because God passed between those severed animals, and not only did He say, may I be torn in two if I'm not faithful to my word, He said, I will be torn in two because you won't be faithful. You won't measure up. And so, I know that in entering into this covenant, I will have to endure the curse of the covenant, but you know what? I will do that because this is how determined I am to bless you. Now, that's an old, old story, but years later, thousands of years, a thousand years later, Jesus would hang on a cross, the Son of God, and He would, as it were, be torn in two. His back would be torn to pieces as He was whipped. His blood would be spilled so that those who could not keep their promises could be made right with God. Do you see how determined God is to bless us? He, he sets His hand on Abraham in order to form a people for Himself. He makes him righteous by faith, and He's so determined to bless and to keep him that Abraham's disobedience will fall upon God and not on Abraham. Some of you might, might be thinking, you know, I, I really, I would love to believe that this is true. I, I would love to, to be a Christian, but, but I'm not sure that I would be able to keep it up. I think I would mess up. Well, here's, here's a newsflash. You, you would and you will, but the God that we have not only takes on Himself the sin before you're a Christian, but He also carries your failures as a Christian. And when you come to Him, He promises to keep you and to not let anything snatch you out of His hand, and He takes on Himself all of your sin and all of your unfaithfulness, past, present, and future. That's how good this is. That's why this is good news. 
You know, if the message of the gospel was, hey, have a clean start, have a clean sheet, how would you get on? Ten minutes? Half an hour? So don't feel, oh, oh, I'm not sure that I'll get through. He said, He will uphold you. He'll not fail you. And He'll step in when you fail Him. What a God we have. Now, if that makes you want to, to use Him, well, then you probably don't know Him. But if that melts your heart to make you say, oh, thank you, Lord. Help me to live for you. That's a sign that you're His. So God promises Himself. God Himself promises. And God keeps His promises. That's good news for weary souls, isn't it? Can you imagine saying to God, like the child, God, do you promise to keep me? Do you really promise? And God says, yes, I really promise. You can trust me. We're going to pray.